you've got these immense powers of persuasion that you pride yourself on. Convince clients to spend money on things that are really expensive that you know are worth it, that no one has built before. <laughs> There's no prototype. You can show them the last one you did, but you're promising them it'll be different. Right. <laughs> like that's a crazy power of persuasion that any good working architect is used to the pleasure of, you know, saying like, no, it, you'll like it. It will be great. I promise. Welcome to Architecture, Design, and Photography. Today, we are speaking with Jesse Thompson of Kaplan Thompson Architects. Uh, Jesse is an award-winning architect who has become a national leader in green design and building science. Growing up in Vermont's Northeast Kingdom, Jesse started his career working construction in high school. Since then, he's been through every stage of design and building. And as you'll see from this conversation, Jesse has a hyperactive mind and he's really fun to talk to and I'm sure really fun to work with from the times I've worked with him shooting some of his projects and he's got a lot to say he thinks about a lot I imagine he has a hard time falling asleep at night with all those thoughts running into his head so really interesting guy really appreciate everything he's done in the design community Thanks to Main Home Design for sponsoring this podcast. Uh, you can check out Jesse's AIA theory article in the upcoming November 2020 issue of Main Home Design. Today we have the amazing uh, Jesse Thompson of Thompson, Kaplan Thompson Architects. <laughs> you can try reversing it, Bill. Be happy. Thompson, Kaplan, Kaplan Thompson Architects in Portland, Maine. Uh, I've photographed... Uh, quite a few of your projects and one of the the winning ones this year that was one of the more interesting ones that won just because of the constraints of it and everything else that I thought were was uh really interesting but uh Jesse Thompson thank you for coming down here today I always anytime I even run into you we had lunch at Bubble Mania a, like years ago and it's just kind of like bumped into you and then it's like a non-stop conversation for like a half an hour and then see you later and I've always enjoyed that. So well, thanks, it's man. really cool to have you here and, and to just see where this strange little conversation goes. So Yeah, it'll <laughs> probably go for two hours until we shut it off. Uh, uh, well, once the bands start practicing, they it'll be, it'll be too much. Good. You don't edit, do you? No, no, just, just hit record <laughs> and go. So don't say anything you don't want people to hear, you know. Yeah. But uh, so what what is uh, piquing your interest and in keeping you uh, activated, triggered and everything else these days? Oh, these days. I mean, it's it's a weird time right now. I think it's a weird time just... Such a weird time. How do you feel like emotionally about the state of our country? I was talking to my wife last night and it was that thing that's happened before. I was like, I think I have to stop reading the news for a little bit. Yeah. Like I need to... Because there's the things I can change that I actually can change and there's things that I'm planning on doing and you know I'm going to vote and all that. But I, I think I need to not read the news for as much for a little bit because it's not my parents i, I can see where it's fast. going and where it's going isn't great now and this is weird is because i'm a generally pretty hopeful person yeah so it's just like you have these dips where you're like ah oh, this is a strange moment i mean we're yeah we're in the middle of a pandemic mm -hmm. <laughs> we've got california and oregon on fire right we've got fascist roaming around looking for an excuse to cause mayhem uh it's a pretty damn complicated time and at the same time in maine right now all the architects i know who work on homes either multifamily or single family you know homes or apartment buildings are flat out like yeah as flat out as they've ever been yeah and i talked to a whole batch of folks and they said like we've never had so many calls ever right. 
people I know that are real estate agents are making more money than they've ever dreamt of. And it's just, it's just so strange that you could have this many bad things happening. And then in our little local area, we've had, we've just had our busiest summer. It's just been fl- spring and summer has been absolutely flat out as we all had to deal well, with I the remember pandemic. We did the interview with you for the AIA awards and you were saying that, you know, that there's this onset of the, oh my goodness, how is this going to pan out? You have to worry about your business and staying together. And so you take everything that comes through the door and then all of a sudden it's like, it just keeps coming. Yeah. And I, I have, I would say I, my business has slowed down, Mm -hmm. um, for the more national travel, like stuff regionally is I'm, I'm doing great. I'm Mm -hmm. loving it. And I'm working at a pace that I feel like I'm a present father and still paying the bills and doing just fine, Mm -hmm. which is really nice. Uh, but like, you know, the, some of my bigger clients are like health clubs and stuff across the country and they're, they're just dead. Yeah, no, who who so. wants you to come to a hotel or a restaurant or a yeah. gym right now? And who wants to travel? Yeah. <laughs> no, it's so it is and it's it is a funny thing. Like we are we're a pretty local architect. Like we had a we wrote a circle down which said that we we actually we when calls come we actually score them. If we can walk to it they get 5 points. If we have to get in a like travel more than three hours, it gets one point. So we were like reverse As score. in jobs you want to take. As in jobs we want to take. And we just realized that was we did things a lot better when we could walk to our jobs. Sure. <laughs> we were sure. just, we, they, they were better. They turned out better. Right. We, we showed up more often, all those things. And so that was, like, we, that was sort of a culmination of like, we're not, what are you trying to be in life? Well, we're not trying to be someone who flies to Texas to do a project. I'm not trying to do that. Right. And... Three hours is kind of pushing it for us to travel. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I can't imagine how being a successful architect like Down East Maine, if you get anything outside of Down East Maine, like everything's three yeah. hours from there. And there's this weird Maine flexibility where, of course, we work in Down East and Bar Harbor and barely work in Boston. Right. <laughs> you know, right. like people don't call you south as far as they call you north, but that's always true. Yeah, right. That's right. Well, you're going further into the unknown yeah, up here, yeah. you know. Yeah. But it is... Um, but as a local, as a localish place, the travel shutting down didn't change that much in a sense for us as much as maybe someone like you who has had more flying to job yeah. stuff. I mean, yeah, the, the national work has slowed down. The, the jobs where they're actually paying you to go to a different, you know, region of the country, they're obviously going to be paying you more because they, yeah. they're finding you based specifically on your skills you know, what you create rather than where you are. Yeah. And so you're going to get paid more that way. But oftentimes they choose you to go and do those jobs based on the things you have shot regionally. So I've known forever that I need to be in good stead with the good architects in Maine as a means of filling out my portfolio to get the work that that is in other parts of the country. Yeah. And some of those, like the best paying jobs I've ever had, they a lot of times don't even end up in my portfolio because they're 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 not as nice as the stuff that you make, yeah. you know. And that was, I think, where we kind of made that call. It was like, yes, I think if you when you turn into a traveling architect, the fees must ratchet upward, and there is a global celebrity crew who I assume gets paid incredibly well to jet set and get paid. And yeah, we did just sort of say like that's not. 
Right. That's fine. Yeah, I <laughs> would know? imagine with the kind of project you'd be involved in, the amount of time taken from your family and your life to execute a three to four year long project yeah. would come at such a cost. It is. And maybe it's just also about you know, living in Maine, et cetera. I mean, that, that is an interesting piece because when we were, when Maine Home and Design set the, this question up of like, you know, this design theory thing, what do you want to talk about? And like the title I came up with was the urgency of getting it all right, hmm. <laughs> of trying to, trying to get it all right as what you do. And, yeah. um, and that, that was because we had this business tagline that was beautiful, sustainable, attainable that we came up with. And that was our sort of marker to ourselves of that's, that's what we're trying to do. <laughs> that's what an ideal project would be. It is, you know, it's beautiful, it's sustainable, and it's attainable. And, you know, we didn't, of course, say affordable. We said attainable. You, you could achieve it. And that, you know, a lot of the houses we do are very nice houses. Not everyone can attain those. But the person who did, they absolutely, it's, um, but it also was just sort of setting a marker of what, how to work on all of it. <laughs> And not just do one chunk of the profession, right. which I think is a really interesting. That's when I look at what we've been doing. It's that's that's a sort of interesting thing when I look around of like, you know, that that difference between really really narrow focus. What is it like? Is it the fox and the hedgehog? I don't know. Grasshopper and the, there's there's <laughs> like the doing one narrow thing here? really 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 well versus trying to do a whole bunch of things well. Right. And you know the omnivore versus the Oh, right. Kind yeah. of more thing. So what do, you, what do you guys strive to be? Well, that, I guess, is where, you know, so yeah, our reputation is of doing green design or sustainable design. I think mm -hmm. that's, if you ask a lot of folks, that's probably where they go to first. Um, As a foundation for your company philosophy? If you or, I mean, I think more just reputation, mm -hmm. if you asked folks what that is. But I guess when we for me, it was always this, how do you get all aspects of the profession right? Hmm. Like, and architecture is really, really hard. You yep. know, you, you dove into it for a I, while. I gave up a long time ago. Right. <laughs> but you're around a lot of architects. You watch yeah. how, they're, how they focus. And it's, it's like getting any one aspect of the profession is really hard. It's hard to run an architecture business and not, you know, you famously start with a lot of money or you, you know. Right. <laughs> But you don't, um, it's hard to make beautiful buildings. Otherwise, we'd have a lot more beautiful buildings. Like, so right. you know, just making seeing something gorgeous takes huge, huge effort. Making something that's not incredibly damaging to the planet takes a lot of effort. So it's like you see people who are pulling one of those things off, and that's a pretty big achievement. You try to take it all on, and you can get totally buried. Yeah. And so that's... Uh, and I actually remember when I was in school being kind of bad at it, like, and there were like, there were the, the kids who were really into style, you know, the kids who were, I went to a school that had a sort of a green design chunk to it. Mm -hmm. And, um, the green design kids building all looked the same. I can actually still draw them. They had like a little solar roof and they had a Claire story and they had a wedge and, and the style kids would sort of make fun of those buildings. The green kids would make fun of the stylish ones. Like, you know, you don't care about the the other part. Right. And I remember kind of ping pong between the two tribes and like well, not fitting in either one. means it, it's beautiful enough to save for more than, because it, it's kind of the argument of like, should I drive a 1965 Ford Falcon 
rather than a Prius, which is more damaging to the environment. Well, and it turns out maybe the Prius is more damaging because you have to anew make it. Well, I don't know if that argument pans out, well, see, but I know I've heard but it. But that right there, Trent, was like, that's the thing. Like, a lot of those things come down to doing the math. Okay. <laughs> Which we were just talking about for buildings and stuff. So, yeah. Yeah. Walk and so, that's that. like, there are people, of course, who run the math on um, a Prius versus a 68 Ford Falcon. Right. And if that's even such a thing. If yeah. It's actually, it's, it gets into um, embodied energy versus operational energy. Okay. To so, operational energy is the gas you put in the car. Sure. So that's the gas you use to drive down the road. And the embodied energy is the energy hidden inside the, the thing. Mm -hmm. So how, how much energy went into making it? Right. So it has steel panels. Someone had to forge the steel. The steel got bent. It got painted. Um, the seats got upholstered. Like if you add up like the nylon and the foam and the wires and the thing, you know, what's the 68 Ford Falcon weighs what? A ton. 2,000 pounds? <laughs> but probably, you know, compared that's to a, a Chevy yeah. Suburban yeah, yeah. from 2020, which probably weighs 6,000 pounds. Right. Six, seven, easy. Six, 7,000 pounds. So, you know, that Ford Falcon in 1968, you get in old cars and you're like, wow, there's not much here. <laughs> They're actually pretty light. Yeah. Yeah. And um, pretty And the engine's pretty tiny and they weren't that fast and all those things. So if you add up the energy that it takes to do it, and then, um, then you can add up the gasoline you put in the car and that's pretty easy energy to add up. Right. You know, like right. how many gallons a year, blah, 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 blah. Um, and this totally goes to buildings because when you look at buildings, you do the exact same thing. There's the energy you put into making the building. Mm -hmm. Like that parking garage that are building across the street is probably going to be all cast concrete. I'd imagine. And they're going to have a couple lights in it. No heating system. It's operational energy is going to be tiny. Right. Just minuscule. But the energy to build the garage, there's going to be, you know, carbon dioxide released from that concrete curing immediately. Right. And I mean, shh, what are, where do we get our concrete from? China or do we get it from over here? It's actually really local. It's, it's so heavy, you don't move it very far. Oh, okay. Right. So there's like a dragon cement plant up in Thomaston. It right. probably comes literally down from Thomaston on a barge. Yeah. I wouldn't be surprised. Um, yeah, like heavy things don't move that far, it turns out. Makes sense. Right, you know? <laughs> Rule of thumb. Um, unless it's on a boat, because boats turn out, you know, you give it a big push, it doesn't take, it's not hard it to move it. going. But, um, and actually, so I want to do like a total funny digression, which is that the thing you just asked me, and I, the, what I started doing, like I started diving into the like, oh, how does that work? What's the math behind that? Right. And I've realized that that's actually... Um, something that we do as a group that's a little weird and that we do, or maybe it's me. I mean, I guess I, our whole crew sort of does it because, you know, there's influence in a group, <laughs> but it's a, it's a, it is one of those me things is that I, like I'll start doing some basic math and that's weird for architects. Why is that? Well, you don't, I mean, how many architects, you know, would have answered that question that way. How much does a car weigh? How much is this? Well, I mean, you, you have a very green analytical and vision-based mind, right? But it's, it's also like trying to dive under the hood and figure out how things work. Right. That tendency. Like, curiosity. How does it really work? The curiosity piece of it. Yeah. Because I was sitting there and um, my daughter's in high school and I was looking at her math that she has for homework and pre-calc and like, I cannot do it. I, I have no idea how to help her with her math. My homework. son's in like fifth grade and some of his stuff. I'm like, I don't remember how to do that. Yeah. And, 
And so like every one of her and her friends can whip this mouth out. Like they're all going to finish their homework. (laughs) And I'm sitting there staring at it. But, you know, it's like the COVID thing has been in the air and you'll sit there with a client and be like, okay, so we need, the scientists told us we need about three air changes an hour in this room. Mm. Oh, this room's about like 20 by 30, 600 square feet, 10 foot ceilings, 6,000 cubic feet. We need to change that air out three times an hour. That's 18,000 cubic feet. We got to move through this space. Like how big a fan do we need? Mm. I come across as this freak as an architect for talking like that. And, and that math is so simple. Right. <laughs> like that's not uh, like your kid's fifth grade but, math is way harder. Right. But if you're, if you have to do that, you have to do that. Why is that? Why is that a weird thing? Because in our profession, I've realized is that most of the architects I know, we, we don't do that as a people. And we walked away from it and we walked away from it and we handed it off to oh, the other people, the mechanical engineers okay, right. or the builder or the this and we we handed off a lot of things specialized yeah because i went through structures in architecture school right. and i really enjoyed it but and they made you analyze a beam didn't they oh yeah they made you actually do the math on what holds that beam up of course and it was very very mind-bending and difficult and i have what i would say a sprinkling of an understanding mm-hmm. from that class enough to know i don't know enough to do that yeah and, and but the math wasn't that hard because you did it Right. They made everybody, they made all of us do it. it to they were me, pretty confident. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but you still got through it. I did. It wasn't a wall that stopped you. No, no. Like calculus stopped me. Mm-hmm. I'm like, I'm done with math. Oh, geez. Yeah. Algebra <laughs> two and all that. Yeah. I'd, I'd, I actually went to my college algebra, whatever level classes once, and then I'd have to go to it again in video form and review my notes. And I, like, I yeah. took the class twice to be able yeah. to pass it. Yeah. It's just that like, I've just become convinced that we're part of the reason we have all these like overlapping problems and strange aspects of architecture is that our profession kind of let it got really complicated and we other people, you know, we handed off big chunks of it to other folks. Yeah. And it's kind of becoming how the uh, FBI doesn't talk to the CIA and like they they're specializing in their different areas, not communicating enough where you're feeling like architecture should be more centralized through the architect and they should be a little more well-rounded in the process of executing that architecture. Yeah, I think to a lot of people's definition of what architecture does, it's about aesthetics. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's about just what does it look like? Mm -hmm. What shape is it? And what color is it? And what does it look like? That's what I think, not only to the public, but to architects. Mm-hmm. And as you know, because you're an architectural photographer, we give awards that we sort of clamor about more. But I've been doing this a while. They are photography contests. <laughs> yes. Sorry. <laughs> right? Sorry. <clears throat> Sorry. Because <laughs> it's, it's, it's like, I know how the judges work because I've judged them. You know, you're looking through 40, 60, 80 examples quickly. Right. The first cut you do is ugly or pretty. Turn down the ugly. Well, that's a very that's a very natural human process, though. And we're incredibly good at it. Yeah, and humans are visual creatures. I bet our visual stuff has been heightened over the last 50, 60 years with the devices, and we are we are oh, yeah. much more visual than last decade. Crazy but, amount. You know, we as humans can f- see patterns from. You know, you can spot difference as a human. The thing Snake, that's out of place. You're more perceptive to snake patterns in your lower vision than you know because yeah right because obviously like you should really see the snakes 
It's a really good idea. <laughs> yeah. You'll live a lot longer if you see the snakes. And so I think that visual, we are incredibly visually acute. And I bet we're more visually acute than when we lived in the woods a lot more because, you know, people who live in the country hear things better than people who live in the city. And you know, the hunters, your eyes have, are actually part of your brain. I heard that somewhere. Fact check me I on that. I don't know. I think we're all part of our brain. Well, like they consider it part of the actual brain, like yeah. a, a sensing thing, you know. And that to me is really interesting when you when you understand the, the weirdness of eye connection, you know. And also that weirdness that if you don't want to see something, you won't see it. It will be invisible. Huh. And you know, there's that, I don't know, what's that video of like the person in the monkey, in the gorilla suit who dribbles a basketball? Right, right, right. Yeah. And if you're focused on the game, you you won't see, yeah. you won't, like, yeah. you won't see it. And so we see what we want to see. And and yeah. as a photographer, you know, you craft images very purposely. And yeah, especially as an architectural photographer. Especially as an architectural photographer. It's ridiculous. <laughs> it is ridiculous. And you've, you're old enough to remember, you know, you know, photographers who didn't retouch. Right. Yeah. You've, you've, you know, the natural light to digital transition, the physical prints to screen transition. Like you watch these transitions and you, you've seen how it changes. And, you know, I, I know it has completely changed architecture because architecture is so visual. Right. There's that famous example that like, why was brutalism such a massive thing in the 1960s? It was because black and white photography got mass accessible and brutalism looks great reproduced in black and white right and as soon as color reproduction got really really affordable postmodernism bloomed <laughs> because all of a sudden lush colors you could print them in the magazines right and a different architecture became attractive huh. because of what we could print affordably and, and you know those things and so now we're in screens and i you know I, you intuitively Trent, i'm sure know what kind of what building can win an award when you're looking at it on site, you've got a pretty good odds. Well, yeah, but I, I couldn't. Hmm. Maybe if I took some time, I could point out exactly why. But no, anytime I, you I interact with a good piece of architecture, mm -hmm. you you immediately sense that there was a real thought behind this and a cohesiveness. Um, well, we're ranging into something even sort of more interesting, which is about style. I, I bet you would never say this to your clients, but oftentimes your clients know, like, you know what can win an award and what can't. Sure. You know what's fashionable at the moment. Yeah. You know also what photographs well. Like, what yeah. pops off the page better, what styles pop off the page better than other styles. There's a lot of traditional work, which is immensely difficult to design, and it has a complexity to it that doesn't read as an image as clearly as stark right. modernism. Exactly. And stark modernism and I love punches stark off the page. Modernism. It's, it's so photograph. much more, for me, it's so much more comfortable because it's easier to understand. To photograph? To photograph, yeah, yeah. absolutely. Comfortable to photograph, absolutely. But I, I live in a pretty stark modernist home as well. Yeah. And it's very comforting to me because I've got everything in order and then I have an, a really abstract yeah. piece of art as a focal point. Yeah. And it's like I've contained the unknown there. Yeah. And that's my own psychology. <laughs> it is, but it, you know, I get, yeah, right. And we got here because of how strong visuals have in dominating the profession. And yeah, you as a photographer who work purely in a visual medium, mm -hmm. and you know, like it's it's the world you soak in. Yeah, 
on every level. I guess there's been this thing for us of really trying to be attentive to how things actually work. Like, do they function or not? Mm -hmm. <laughs> and sort of realizing that most buildings function really, really badly. Mm -hmm. They don't work well. Like if buildings worked well, we wouldn't have a COVID pandemic. All right. Well, now wait a minute. Explain that one to me. It's, because if they it's becoming if very they clear. made this virus in a lab in China and we had <laughs> sure, but just it, kidding. Okay. But if you have an airborne virus uh -huh. and you have really good ventilation systems, it doesn't matter if it's there. So you're saying if the ventilation systems could weed out uh, can can Tanagens? What what am I trying to say there? Yeah, the viral particles in the air. Yeah, yeah. How about that? You're right. Yeah. So, so, like, we have... Downtown Portland is full of empty buildings right now. We have office buildings that everyone's too terrified to be in. We have... Oh, that's really true, Nightclubs and because music halls that are empty. Like, people yeah. are... People's businesses are just dying. The massive buildings that have the massive air exchangers are taking all the air from every space in that building, really, and running it through one soggy place, aren't they? Well... Those buildings aren't doing anything with the air. It's just recirculating. Ugh. It's like a recirculate, you know, you yeah. imagine a recirculating toilet. <laughs> right? Okay. That's not my line, actually. That's a building science guy's line. But um, so what most buildings do is they, people in the building industry made an assumption, which is that um, buildings are, are pretty leaky, right? We're, yeah. Okay. They have holes in them. Yeah. So there's air just kind of moving around, right? It just goes in through the walls, right? So therefore, what we should do is when you want to be warmed up or cooled down, we will heat up the air inside the building mm -hmm. and we'll swirl it around and we'll turn it off. And you want it cold, we'll like cool it down and swirl it around and then we'll turn right. it off. And the theory is that the, um, the fresh air you need as a human will come just kind of leaking in the doors and the cracks in the windows. In my old house, that was really, really true. <laughs> in an old main farmhouse where the wind blows through the walls, that's 100% true. I had totally light true. sockets that you just put your hand up to. And, right. You know. And so we don't do that anymore. Um, you know, as someone, the analogy was like, if you try to breathe by punching a bunch of holes in your skin, that wouldn't work very well. Right. You know, you have lungs. Buildings should have lungs too. So are we are we making a dangerous situation where we have a really tight house, but maybe not so if we're controlling all the circulation through one thing that we can then work on like purifying that air in that single spot? Or? Well, like, uh, yeah, a, a human without lungs doesn't go very far. A building without lungs doesn't work very well either. Hmm. Okay. Because the other thing is, is that the, this idea that a leaky building would get you fresh air was always wrong also. Really? Yeah, it's like... You've been in old farmhouses that spell mildewy and moldy. Right, right. They have plenty Basically. of air exchanges, but that's not enough air to be healthy. Right. <laughs> and you've also, you know, like how many schools when you were a kid, did you get super sleepy in the classroom in the afternoon? And everyone says, oh, because you ate lunch. Well, it's not because you ate lunch. It's because you had 20 kids breathing carbon dioxide in a space and it builds up hmm. and you get super sleepy. Right. And, and it was really boring sometimes, but yeah. But if you'd had that class outside, it probably would have been better. Yeah, yeah. Right? You wouldn't. Have, you would, or if you, it's just like people have actually done lab studies where you, if people have enough oxygen, they are much more lively and awake, and they learn better, and right. they do tests better. Everything's better. So 
like that's where, I mean, yes, the idea that you could have a good enough machinery in a building to counteract an airborne virus is not true. Like you can't, there's complete obvious limits to that. But it could be better. It could be better. And that's why everyone spent the summer in Maine outside. Yeah. When I'm in downtown Portland, it's always windy. And it's just like, there's no viral particle that can hang out long enough to get to anyone. Right. <laughs> it's getting like whooshed out to the ocean. Right. Um, but buildings are our giant problem right now. And so this has just been this weird, weird summer where you're like, okay, everyone has abandoned buildings that they felt unsafe in. They just left them behind. And they, so do you think people are buildings are going to start going to more compartmentalized air handling and they need to i mean that's what they're doing they're sort of frantically bolting on fresh air machines onto every school and hopefully an office building and people are retrofitting these buildings frantically right now to get more air into them probably even by like sub like classroom has its own air purification yeah. and handler totally. and and in buildings and uh, where you have they're old enough schools where you can open the windows you know they they just need to open the windows right and the kids wear hats. Like. Right. But I guess, so that's, we just had this weird year where all of a sudden, like, we've spent time running away from certain buildings. Mm-hmm. Maybe hiding out at home, if you have a home that's safe. But, you know, people, where has the pandemic been hitting people extra hard? It's people with extended families who live in small apartments where you live with your grandparents and your kids. And you've got eight people and you all work jobs where you're not allowed to work at home. And someone has to go to work to keep the family going. They bring it back home. That's right. Those are the tough situations. And that's a situation I hadn't considered. That's true. There's so many people that can't take their job home. Oh, so many people. Yeah. You know, it's like there are these office people like us. We're office people. We all successfully went home. Right. We are. Our people worked harder. (laughs) We watched the numbers like people put in more hours and it was like people are kind of burned out now. They're really tired in our crew Hmm. because they put extra effort in all summer working from home, but they were all working and it was fine. But if you run a bar. Oh, that's just dead. Dead in the water. Like, you know, or if you work at a supermarket or you are a healthcare worker, you had to go to work. You had to go to a situation that wasn't necessarily safe. And then you had to go home to your family. And if you are an American who's got a, on the lower end of the income scale, you're in a, you probably have a really bad housing situation too. Right. Right. And that's been the story of this thing. Hmm. It's really, it's like it keeps circling back to buildings. And now, of course, I'm a building person. So what I will, of course, circle it back to buildings. But it's just like downtown Portland is kind of empty. I haven't, I don't know that I've. Well, that's why it's empty. You haven't been, been there. there. Yeah, see, you haven't been there. I've, <laughs> it misses I've you. I've been by, <laughs> I've been ar- around it. But yeah, I haven't, I mean, you know, I, I haven't my, been out to yeah. eat because I only go to Portland if I'm yeah. meeting with a client or going out to eat, probably. Yeah. I'm somebody who rides my bike to work if I can. Like I get three or four days a week, I get to ride my bike to work. And, um, you know, not because like save the planet, like it makes my head better. Yeah. It's yeah. cheaper. I can park outside the office. For <laughs> the very little time I worked actually at an architect's office, I think my last year of school, I... Uh, I'd, I'd ride like 11 miles to the office. It was really nice. Yeah, it might nowhere near it. that hard. But like there's way less cars on the road still. Yeah. You know, it's so. Yeah. And, and it's it it's also been really, really easy to take this building linked pandemic and you go right to the giant terror of California being on fire and Maine in now really, really a bad drought right yeah. now. It's yeah. the woods are dry. 
And that's kind of I mean, weird you for a wet place. The fire of 1943, right? Right. It could. It's you know nowhere near here. It's still super green compared to all my friends in Oregon. But right. um. But yeah, it's like then there's the the climate disaster, which is, you know, so what's the climate disaster? Well, we've been burning a lot of fossil fuels. What do we burn fossil fuels for? Um, Stay warm. Move around. We, in the ways we move back and forth between our buildings. Right. <laughs> you know, like it's our buildings and it's the cars we move back and forth between buildings. Like that's right. kind of what's doing it. And the airplanes we move back and forth between our buildings. Right. <laughs> it's like, that's a tight circle. So are you finding any answers or solutions? Yeah. I mean, they, they, that's, that's when you, when you get a little depressed, it's often a little hard to say the solutions are actually sitting right in front of us. They're right there. Like, we know how to do this. See, I always find that I'll, I'll experience times where I, I wouldn't call it depression because I've seen people that are yeah. depressed and to talk to them, I've said, well, you know, just get up and exercise every day and eat right. And they're like, no, it's, you're trying to on-ramp onto the highway on foot and everyone else is in cars. It's a different thing. I get that. But like, I'll go through times of really struggling with like a thought issue and I can, I'm, I'm a type of person that will really focus on a single issue and it'll just eat me up for like months at a time. And I'll get really frustrated and kind of depressed around it and go through that hardest emotional time. But then after that, it's like my, I packed it all in and my brain said, all right, can we just sit with this for a minute? Mm -hmm. And it's like all right, let us just relax for a bit and this will sort out. And on the other side of that, yeah. there's usually some aha, you know? Um, yeah, any big overwhelming thing that you can't fix yourself can totally take you under. Yeah. Like any, you know, any one of these problems that you personally could never fix is, can be devastating. Like, and yeah, and, and yes, like I, I, I do not want to call being down about something the same as depression because I've, you know, I've seen that and that's not, it's a different thing. Um, there's all kinds of traps people can get in. <laughs> um, and it turns out we're slightly complicated. Slightly complicated. Um, and, and that, I guess, has been a kind of a weird road is that we started our group in, I guess, for about 15 years now. I forget the number. It's funny. Like, yeah, quick math, but I can't remember the date. Um, and when we started, um, you know, we didn't have any clients. Every client was a new client and we were just sort of excited to like, we want to make beautiful buildings and we want them to work well. And, and we, we had a, some, some years where we were experimenting and we did just a ton of asking other people what to do. Like we, cause I'm not a building scientist. I am not a lab researcher. All I do is read what other people do. Right. <laughs> I just, you know, I like sit around reading <laughs> like, Oh, maybe we'll try that. <laughs> Go to conferences with smarter people than you. Like do this. Okay. We'll try. <laughs> we'll try that. Um, and, and, you know, like, so we, it didn't necessarily work, but like at this point in 2020, I know how to make a climate neutral building and what they're made of turns out to be the harder part. We were focused, we focused really hard for the first 10 years on like the gas that goes in the tank. Mm -hmm. And how about we don't use gas? Right. Let's try to use something clean. Um, and then like the past few years has been like, uh, there's this other elephant in the room 
the actual like things. what do you make it out of yeah and um you know we started way back when with the prius versus the ford falcon right and so i have an electric car now um it's a little kia and what's funny about the electric car is that it puts the mileage right in front of you really clearly and like when you drive it at 78 on the highway it gets really that gets a lot worse gas mileage than when you drive at 65. I mean, like, you know this intuitively. Right. Some reason gas cars hit it from me better. Uh, I guess it doesn't matter. You can just stop and fill up and you just keep burning it, you know? Yeah, but I, I'm, you know, obviously I'm somebody who watches numbers. But for me, it was just disturbing. I was like, why does it say 2.8 instead of 3.5? Like, that's a big difference. Right. And there was finally this point. I was like, okay, so I've got a 3,000 pound block of metal that I'm pushing through the air at 75 miles an hour. That must be really hard. Like <laughs> when I was growing up, I had a little pickup truck and it didn't really like going 58. <laughs> My Nissan pickup truck. Like it was really kind of unhappy at 65. Right. And now you, any car you buy will go at 85 down the highway. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I think that's a really like unbelievable amount of energy to push a thing through a fluid that fast. Yeah. And we underestimate it because, and that's why car with mileage with cars and the embodied energy of cars, when I saw a sheet that said basically like, if you buy a suburban or an electric car, the amount of energy in the extra weight of the suburban and the, ener the amount of energy it takes to move that through means it's literally like three years before the energy in the in the electric car, the extra, because the, the batteries were very energy intensive. Right. So it's like two to three years between a Suburban and that. And after that, it, you're just like completely pulling ahead because right. the balance of operation versus embodied is massive. Hmm. And that says that the really cute vintage car that you love, you should really only drive that a couple of miles on the weekend. Yep. Do not be a daily driver. Like you are literally better to go get the brand new cheap electric car and you should pulp the old one. You should crush it <laughs> for the, for the planet. Right now that doesn't get into your love of the car and the, the aesthetics you love, but right. it's kind of like put it in the garage, walk out and look at it and admire it or convert it to an electric car. Oh, super fun. Then, yeah, then you're golden. Then you've done both. Yeah, right. Yeah, then that's some really cool opportunity there. So that gets into like renovating a building versus tearing it down. The only thing is that they're not really safe. That's the other thing. That for, is the other thing. But man, it's it's so cool because you stay below thirty five, they're a lot safer. That's true. Just go slow. Go slow. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, the I've always bought older cars yeah. because I couldn't generally afford nor wanted to pay all the money for a newer car that you didn't know if it was going to stand the test of time visually yeah so you could just look in the old stock of things and be like that's the, the test of time it's really beautiful okay yeah. but yeah they're they hog yeah. stuff. so then you've got like we take the same analogy and like okay so cars are just operationally and like the the the, the fuel you use is just a mount, huge mountain compared to making them mm -hmm. it's just like this massive thing Buildings, it turns out, are actually really different. Like, buildings don't move around much. Right. They kind of sit there. They're really lazy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, heat them and cool them. You know, it's what? It's like an oven that just sits there, but it's not even very hot. Like, right. a building wants to be 72. <laughs> it's not, that's not very warm. Right. And so, buildings are, um, some buildings 
the parking garage is the extreme example we started with. Like it has no operational energy. It's all embodied. Mm -hmm. So it's super bad for the world to build a parking garage. And then afterwards it coasts. A little two by four wood house actually has very little embodied energy. It's made of trees. You grow trees. Trees are very easy to, you know, they, they actually have carbon locked up in them. Right. So you're actually hiding carbon from the world by making a wood building. Right. And so a, a wood building that doesn't have, that doesn't use energy to heat and cool itself is, you know, actually locking up carbon. That doesn't use outside energy. You're right. saying like if you have a wood building, it has that's clean energy. Or, yeah, or, yeah, exactly. And, you know, again, the, like your great grandfather's shack up in northern Maine that he heated with wood didn't really damage the climate. Yeah. So what is what is the lowdown on burning wood for heating your home these uh, days? That, that, like, that gets, from what I, I mean, again, I'm not a scientist, but it gets super, super, super complicated. Really? Um, like, don't do it if you're in an area that that the wood smoke will make your neighbors sick and give them asthma. Hmm. You know, like, like out in the Northwest, they ban wood smoke because, like, you, they get these inversions where the smoke kind of settles in town. Oh, right, right. That's That's not nice. That's not nice. <laughs> um, if you live on a house out in the woods of Maine, more wood probably falls off the branches around your house than you could burn in a year with a yeah with a good house. And, right. it, and it, yeah, it's very very extremely low. If you start cutting down trees to try to make electricity to run a city, probably pretty oh, bad. Yeah, no, we got a Blaze King that has this thing that when it gets to a certain heat, you push in this thing and it reburns a bunch right. of stuff and. And probably the stuff coming out the back is pretty clean and not smoky. And like you look out the chimney, there's not smoke coming out your chimney. Yeah. My, my wife's in charge of all of that. She's got the passion for that. So I'm, yeah. I'm the person that's... I, if you're in a rural state like Maine, burning wood to have houses that aren't too close to your neighbors is, yeah, totally a great normal thing to do. If you're in the middle of New York City, you probably shouldn't burn wood. <laughs> Time to load the wood stove again. I mean, go you, down we to used Fifth to. Avenue. They are like coal chutes, you know? We used to like basically oh, yeah. like take coal and burn it. Make make coal great again, right? Yeah, right. Yeah. So it's, uh, it, you know, it's funny we're in this little thing, but it's like, I guess it's just, it's a solved problem, that technical part. We know how to make clean energy run buildings. What What's your take on nuclear energy? Like I hear people talk about it like, look, it's this ridiculously powerful thing that yeah. we have the technology to run now just fine, but people are just freaked out by it. Yeah, that's one of those things where, like, people love arguing over nuclear. Really? Yeah, like, it's one of those things where you have nuclear fans, and they love poking at the people who hate nuclear, and it turns into this whole thing. Really? All I know is that, like, nobody's building new nuclear plants. No. They're so expensive. Like, what I see is I see solar fields going up everywhere. Yep. I got a friend that puts them up, and they're just, he's nonstop. Cranking them out. And nobody's building nuclear power plants. Like, even yeah. when you throw free billions of dollars of subsidy, people still don't want to build them. Hmm. So, no one wants to see that in their backyard. They don't want to see that And stack. I think they're just like, yeah, they just, no one is placing a bet on nuclear right now. And right. this isn't like because the greenies shut them down. It's because I think they're kind of terrifying to run. Yeah. <laughs> Like if things go wrong, it goes really, really wrong. Yeah, I think we've scared ourselves away yeah. from that, from from messing it up and yeah. Fukushima and right. All that. It seems bad. It seems not it seems good. Bad. Solar solar fields just. Well, seem that's where you like friendly. when you look around, like you watch what's going on. We're at this amazing place where yes, the solar the reason the solar fields are happening is it's cheaper than anything else you can make. 
you know, they're like, I saw on the paper, there was some auction and like the new solar fields in Maine, they're making power for three cents a kilowatt hour. And CMP sells it for 17. Wow. So it's the cheapest new, you know, no one's, coal plants are just getting shut off. <laughs> right. So you, you can put up a solar field in Maine and, and sell that power at a profit to CMP who then sells it at another huge profit. Yeah. And they're, they're selling it. They're under long-term contracts to promise to sell it for three cents a kilowatt hour hmm. in Maine. Like we have winter. <laughs> How are you going to The sun that? turns off. <laughs> so the, the, the embodied energy in solar power, is that an, an issue? Are, are we like raping oh, it, the planet to make these panels or anything? Well, or? yeah, this is going to get over my head. Cause like, I'm not a material scientist and there's definitely really complicated heavy metals embedded in them and stuff like that. And you, you know, don't go grind one up and try to eat it. But yeah. on just a pure energy alone, it's like nine months before this, the energy you took to make it is kicking out new energy. And it, wow. I mean, it, it, it's sort of, I guess, in some ways self-evident because otherwise it wouldn't work. Well, there, I mean, there are subsidies for it and everything else right now. They're right? kind of going away. Yeah, I know. They've my, kind of all gone away. My wife's making us buy something before the end of the year. Yeah, yeah. But, so. it, like, but that's because they've gotten so much cheaper that you don't need it anymore. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it certainly seems like, geez, this energy is just falling from the sky. Why aren't we collecting it? Yeah. <laughs> and that's, I guess, where when you try to drag that back to architecture and yeah, we have to make beautiful buildings. Like you have to make build, buildings that people love. So yeah, let's work on that. Let's also make buildings that don't do damage. Let's try and figure that out. And the thing that I guess for me is the like, that's a fun puzzle to try to get all that right. Like that's intriguing right. to try to do all those things. And um, it's been a really exciting thing to try to figure out. It's been really fun. And our, I've heard our clients say like, oh, you know, it's like it, you make it fun. And it's like, well, this is interesting. This is like a really to do that and have gorgeous buildings and have them be healthy for people and people can afford them. Like that's a great thing to try to do all that. Where do you where do you see the hardest part and the most uh, ad advancement in in that in your practice right now as far as the difficulty with making a beautiful building compared to healthy building compared to sustainable building? I think that the biggest advancement is that I see more people believe it's possible, and so it's not a technical problem. And it hasn't been for my working career, really. Like the science was solved. Now, what a, is the investment hurdle lower now, though? So this is where I get a little cranky. Uh-oh. <laughs> the investment hurdle has been a dodge. A dodge? Yeah. People didn't want to do it. Mm -hmm. It really wasn't that it was economical or not. And so part of our practice is doing really nice houses. Mm-hmm. And when you start doing nice houses, you watch people buy things they love right. and put them in. And they sure. buy them because they love them. Was that infinity pool mm. economical? Did it make you super happy when you came home? Absolutely. When your kids brought their friends over and like you sit there and look out at the beautiful place you put your infinity pool, that was all worth it, right? Right. <laughs> like people do what they want to do. And people have used the whole money thing 
to not want to do it. I'm just convinced of this. And it's because I watch people make choices over and over again. I watch them do the thing that feels like that thing will be pleasurable. That thing will make me happy. I'm not convinced that one will. So this is more of a cultural shift as far as I think uh, a societal value shift yeah. that that has taken time. Yeah, and it because like people of our age remember, and especially if you went to architecture school, and yeah, so we're like 90s, right? I was in architecture school. Mid to late 90s? Very late 90s and yeah, early so I, 2000s. I'm a little older I, than that. Yeah, early nineties, yeah, goofed <laughs> off. Like you know, I talked about in the beginning, but that in the era when I went to school, green buildings were not sexy. Right. We had a. I did a straw bale building that. And you had professors who were pretty upset with you for doing that. No, it was encouraged. Yeah. Where were it, you going it to was like a uh, same work. place as Russ Tyson and Caleb Johnson. Yeah. Um, Andrews University. Shout out to. All the Adventists in the room. <laughs> um, the uh, it it had a it had a decidedly uh, sustainability yeah. bent to it. Yeah. Uh, there was a, a responsibility to the earth yeah. from a Christian perspective, yeah. but not from a well. It's all going to burn, so let's just profit. Well, no, we as in like stewardship. <laughs> yes, stewardship. stewardship. Like this is this is the gift. Take care of it. Yeah, like your your duty he's is coming to take back, it. and he's going to be mad if you beat this yeah. thing up. Let's not do your that. Your duty is to take care of this. Yeah, that's like that's the yeah. awesome ethic. Yeah, yeah. This this <laughs> is the good side of religion, apparently. Yeah. When it when it comes out like that. Oh, I've got a total soft spot for Seventh Day. Like, <laughs> like they're just all such so super nice people. Well, keep going. You'll, I'm sure there's a couple bad apples. Oh, no, I got, taken, I got taken powerboating out in Walla Walla, Washington by some Seventh Day. Oh, that's, and they a, like, that's a hotbed out there. Oh, yeah. And they like they showed me their vegetarian store. And I was oh, like, yeah. you guys are the sweetest people I've ever met. And you took us powerboating? Like, this is awesome. Love you all. <laughs> they're, they're good people. They're yeah, good they're people. Like, totally like good people. Yeah. <laughs> that's what the, they wanted to be. The... So right, you, we're not going to go down that road, but <laughs> but yeah, we we had a full yeah. thing, and it it definitely was like, all right, learn about the technology, learn what's possible, the different ways yeah. you can do this, and let's make it look nice. So I get frustrated when I'm around my fellow architects, and they say things like, "I don't do that," like yep. "I don't do that green thing." Mm -hmm. I'm like, "Well, first of all, it's a fun puzzle and a fun challenge. It's actually really really interesting. Second of all, you've got these immense powers of persuasion that you pride yourself on. You." That's true. You know, that you convince clients to spend money on things that are really expensive that you know are worth it. You know that there's a kind of space that's possible that you've seen and you can picture it and you know they'll love it. You know they'll be happy. Right. <laughs> but you have to convince them because like, this is the strangest thing. You have to like convince someone to spend a huge amount of their money on something that doesn't exist yet, that no one has built before. <laughs> There's no prototype. You can show them the last one you did, but you're promising them it'll be different. Right. <laughs> like that's a crazy power of persuasion that any good working architect is used to the pleasure of, you know, saying like, no, it, you'll like it. It will be great. I promise. And Architects you have representations. Right. But you have your, inf your representation tools. You have your ways of showing them. You like you, you have certain kinds of drawings you do. You have certain kinds of imagery you deploy. You have certain ways you walk people through this immensely complicated puzzle that, that ease them into it so mm -hmm. they can get a grip on something they've never done before. Um, 
And so there's this huge powers of persuasion that any working architect has had to develop to build anything because you can't use your own money. <laughs> and then there's this huge avenue where most of the profession kind of turned and walked away and was like, ah, we're not going to try to pers persuade people to do that. That might get us in trouble. Like, right. I'm not even going to try to persuade people that that's a good idea. Like that might backfire on me. I'm not convinced of the logic. I haven't run the math. What, whatever that thing is. <laughs> Well, I've, I've had this conversation with people yeah. that have gone to the same school as me. Um, and it, it, uh, it was very much a, um, oh, I'm just not into that. That's not my, yeah. And that's totally now their there's, choice. There's an ethical side, which says you're just not into not fucking up the gorgeous world. Yeah. Like, you know, and, and of course, if you say that, people get really, really angry with you. That's not great in a client I, meeting. I, haven't, I mean, I don't no. even say it to my friends. <laughs> I mean, we've always, our whole, our whole business has been about the powers of persuasion, about making this beautiful and interesting and fun and sexy and like lustful. Like that's, and I was so, I was really heavily influenced by a science fiction writer named, named Bruce Sterling. And he's still writing, but... um he started something called the Viridian movement. In Viridian? The, Viridian. Like, you know, it sounds like, familiar. Yeah. Well, it's, it's now a word that like you see in marketing for bad condos. Um, <laughs> but it's like, it's like a, a very deep green or something. A Viridian. It's like, it's a color. It's like, yeah, I don't know. See here, I'm, I'm screwing up his theory already, but he was basically saying, um, people have never changed by telling them they're being bad and they're doing the wrong thing and they need to act better. Morality has always failed. Okay. Okay. So like you're, you're doing it wrong. Here's the way to do it right. Please change. So the way to convince people to change is to here to present to them. Here's the way to do it right. Please here's do it. Look how amazingly beautiful and better this is. You have to make it sexy lustful you have to implore have to people want rather than shame them you have to make people want it they have to here's a thing there's here is this beautiful thing this possible beautiful future and if mm -hmm. you want it enough it will happen but let's go want it like and we need examples of how to want it we need we need to make hmm. these healthier cleaner ways more attractive do you think you should try and change people we're going into trans psychology. Do I world. do I think I should or I can or which which word? Do you think you should try and change people? I've spent twenty five years changing people. So I mean, it's I, it happens whether I want to or not. So you you actively attempt to change people. I, I think it's the architect's pitch. Like this building will be better. You'll be happier. Let's talk on a more basic level, though. Like. <laughs> friends oh do i try to change friends yeah do you try and change people so i have two teenagers at home <laughs> <laughs> and they're really good at catching on whenever you try to change them or yeah or even mold them or even mold them so i i you know and i work with a big crew of people and like i'm not going to change them right like i i, I do but I, you've selected those people as people that you mostly maybe not agree with but admire for yeah. what oh. they contribute and yes admittedly like there is there are power dynamics inside a workplace that are just unavoidable and exist like i, sure. I am the boss 
Right. I can hire and fire. That's just a truth. It just lurks. And yep. so there's a power dynamic, which means that I can't pretend that we're all a bunch of happy equals sailing down the road together. It's like there is there's other things going on. And like in a family, why are my kids beat the shit out of me? Because, you know, I can't fire them. <laughs> you know, they can't leave. I can't leave. We're all right. stuck. So, you know, we're a lot, you know, we're not as nice as we would be at work. <laughs> well, it's... you save the worst parts of yourself for those that are closest to you. Right. Exactly. Hopefully not. But yeah, I mean, it's um, so there's dynamics at work there that and if we want to talk about getting the entire profession right and we could talk ethics in architecture and we might go down another whole thing of, um, you know, another aspect of us as an immensely damaged semi-toxic profession but um you know we can we can save that for the last hour <laughs> well it, it's interesting <laughs> to me to consider like okay some people say you should never try and change people yeah but that doesn't hold up like if you have a friend who's like you've been disassociated with for a year you yeah. reconnect with them and all of a sudden they're a nazi like yeah do you try and change no i'm gonna respect frank and his opinion on you know uh, yeah, I, I, mean, I, I would think you'd want to change people there, but what I, what I, there, I'm a soft sell. So me, you asked me, me personally, I'm a pretty soft sell. Well, what do you mean by that? I mean, I'm not a table pounder. I'm not a, um, I'm, I'm probably persistent. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I'm very stubborn. Yeah. I think I'm a little relentless. <laughs> I got, you know, it's sort of not, not giving not sounding up. like soft sell. Well, but, but the, um, yeah, that doesn't sound like soft sell at all. You're. Totally right. But, um, I mean, we are definitely, uh, flies to honey, horse to water. You can bring a horse to water, but you can't make them drink. Right. I believe that. Right. I mean, I, like, I, I'm only going to ever convince someone if I can give them some proof. Right. Which is like what I think we've been in our group doing this long enough that we have a backlog of examples that are like, oh yeah, like, and we can bring people to houses. And right. you can bring them and say like, no, really, it's nicer. Like, and I have, I have things that I say to clients that I've just learned are much more effective than, um, and we don't do math with people. I don't do money math with people. I've found that to be incredibly unpersuasive. <laughs> you know, it's like. It's what people more of the numbers guy who makes. No, <laughs> no, I mean, he's even less of a numbers person than me. Um, but the, it's like. I worked on my own house and did all these crazy experiments and you've seen it. Like it's a full on laboratory. And I did stuff at the time that was really wacky, um, but it's really well insulated. And in February I can sit next to the window in a t-shirt. I, I think that. you actually took pictures of me sitting next yeah. to the window in a t-shirt. Yeah. And it's like, my house is just warm. And yeah. when you describe that to people in new England, they're like, I've always been cold. I've never oh, yeah. been warm in a house. And you're like, you, you can be. <laughs> you can be warm without a machine blowing on you. Yeah, yeah. And people, like, they're not quite sure you're true if they grew up in farmhouses, but that sounds nice. And that's something you might pay a little extra for. Oh, absolutely. That That's what we did. We, yeah. uh, Caleb had a guy who was really geeking out on all that stuff and yeah. detailed out our, our slab on granite and then wall system, window yeah. system. And it's like my wife was always, always in like silk long johns <laughs> and then a wool something yeah. and hat in the house. Yeah, when people we just lived run cold. Over here. Yeah. And, you know, now in the middle of the winter, she can, you know, the stove's yeah. barely going and it'll be 80 degrees and she's in shorts and t shirt. And know? so 
And Trent, I kind of, you know, I sort of already know the answer, so I'm going to ask you the question, is um, you go over to other people's houses and you're, she's kind of like, can we go home now? It's really uncomfortable. Like, I don't know why their house is so cold. Or, yeah. you know, like once you've experienced this better thing, you want it. It's well, nicer. Hmm. That's interesting because I, I will be away from my house for a while and realize how much I appreciate it. Yeah. Not just for like the thing that hits me first is the aesthetics that sure. I primarily yeah. designed and someone else had to fix. Um, but then also the efficiency of the use of space and yeah. using it how we know we use space. Yeah. But then that that beautiful just you you don't feel like you're losing heat in the winter. There's just that comfort that is so great. What I love is you just described the whole suite, right? This is a building that you were able to afford to build. Yep. You consider it, it to be beautiful. Very Every time you walk up to it. invested in just the areas yeah. we really appreciate. But you walk up to it and it feels beautiful to you still. Yep. It functions well as a space. Yep. You can, you doesn't make, you're not cold. Uh, <laughs> you so. can afford to heat it and it doesn't do very much damage. Nope. Like, so, you know, that's the, those things that made you happy are the same things that make all of our clients happy. So that the, the struggle there for the architect then is that you can very easily portray the beauty right and the experience right but the experience of being warm yep. being efficient is something and there's a couple and so there's a couple of rocks architects hit when they're sailing their boat one is they start trying to run cost benefit analysis mm -hmm. and you you maybe you've heard of something called payback and yep. you run payback yep. clients you know, normal people like no one wants to hear about payback payback it just makes people miserable like so after I wait for 10 years, I get free stuff. I don't want to wait 10 years. Like, why would I wait 10 years to get the good stuff? That's just at a very basic level. That's like, that sounds insane. Right. And so that doesn't work. You have to give people something right now. <laughs> okay. So there's that thing you do. The other thing is we have just stopped talking about, and I loved the way you just said it. You said like the walls and the slab and like that guy did some stuff and he did it right and it worked. That's all you should ever have to say. Right. Yeah, like, we just do not want to sit in a meeting talking about our wall assemblies. Right. If we go there, we've probably gotten down a, I mean, maybe we have our super techie client and those are fun. We're good right. with those. You know, we can, we can talk wall sections and we'll party on, you know. Some people want to talk about tile. Some people want to talk about wall sections, whatever. We'll meet them where they're going to go. <laughs> well, this, but, is, this like, is an interesting conversation as in that always the cell for architects is the pretty photograph. Yeah. And, and so here I'm talking about all these invisible things. No one can see it. You're spending all this effort on stuff that no one can see. Now you, you only get credit when it goes it. wrong. You have to portray it differently. Yes. It takes a whole different skill, not skill set, but a whole different approach yes. to selling that, which is much more involved in a storytelling yes. uh, aspect. Like I have one video that I'm thinking of that I just did when I, Bought this camera for the first time two years ago and it's it's it was snowing really heavily outside and in our living room we have floor-to-ceiling windows and the the stove is right in front of the windows and so you have this orange flame and it's still really really blue but just getting light outside and my son walks into frame with the slow motion massive flakes coming down and he, he's barely in a t-shirt and some shorts and he's just right there 
that far from mm. the snow and he's just warm. Yeah. And we did not buy the most expensive windows, but we did buy probably the most energy efficient as yeah. far as like triple pane. Yeah blah, 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 and the slab's insulated, blah, and blah, the blah. slab isn't isn't freezing cold because yeah. it's separated. And Don't forget, blah, blah, blah. Blah, 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 you yeah. know? <laughs> it's the blah, blah, blah. Because yeah, like, this is my pitch to architects, if, you know, if architects listen to this podcast, is like, so which one's a better client pitch? We're going to do a double stud wall with a double KD plate, and we're going to do locally sourced lumber, and it'll have dense pack cellulose to... Uh, you know, at a density of four pounds a cubic foot, we're going to have a WRB that's vapor open on the outside yeah. with tape seams. Your client's already falling asleep. <laughs> um, so, uh, you know, we, we like to make really good houses. And it, there's this one technique we can use, which you can have really deep windowsills. And it's really nice for cats and plants. We love and our deep windowsills. And you can sit at a deep windowsill and you can watch the snow and you can sit right next to the window and you won't be cold. And it's really nice. And like, and we could put some shelves in there too. We could carve that wall away and we could give you some built-ins there because our wall is a little thicker than a right. lot of people's. And we can then, we could, we could, oh yeah, we could have a built-in right there. And we'll thin up the wall a little bit and then we'll have a deep windowsill for your cat. Like, you know, which speech is Cat better? Note. Which of the, one of those speeches is likely more right, persuasive? Right. Like one is one is about human being the basic aspects of being human. Like, can you be warm? Can you mm. be happy? Can you do this? And another one is an engineering exercise. But how do you as an architect sell the m more initially expensive but better thing for all of us? So on most custom homes, it just isn't more expensive. Really? Yeah, because they're custom homes. Right. <laughs> I guess if someone's got enough money to pay for an architect. So, I mean, we got all these different worlds you work in. Like I have some worlds I work in where like money is, you know, it's everything. It's like it doesn't, if it doesn't work, it has to work on a cash flow basis, a first cost basis. It has to work on every single basis like that. Um, but like you build a custom home because you want something fabulous that you've never seen before that no, you can't, you know, you've looked, you've you tried know, to find that home and you couldn't find it. I mean, a piece of a residential architecture is one of the last very unique things to be made in this world. And it will go out eventually, I think. I don't be know. I mean, it. I mean, it's got to get to a point where this 3D printing and everything else oh. is like order up your home. And a truck shows up and... Yeah. But it, the truck will show up and build the boring stuff. Right, but... It'll build the guts. But it won't do the thing that brings certain people incredible joy. And that thing, like, you know, humans pursue joy and happiness. Mm -hmm. Like, we make music. Right. Like, why do you make music? That's not functional. Why does anybody make art? It's not because it's a great business can be if you, oh, if you get it, it right it can but. be but why is my daughter drawing self-portraits right she's not a money-making artist you know it's like there are these things we do as humans like we sing like dancing so the creativity dancing, right? the creativity involved and the expertise needed in understanding how humans live and all the things that go into their yeah. place making will not go away will not go away we just like we just we're not human anymore if we're not singing and dancing and cooking and right and enjoying beauty like that's just it's just deeply embedded at every level of us so the thing that i think has been interesting for us is we get known as these sort of technicians but like 
we want to get over the hump where we can stop talking about it. In the last three or four or five years, we've had we've finally gotten to stop talking about it. Stop having to try and sell the energy efficiency technical the, wall system. Technical stuff inside. The blah, blah, blah. 15 years ago, there was a lot of talk about, we were, tr- we were literally trying to figure out which one's the best wall. Now I've got five, and I don't want to talk about any of them. <laughs> I have five ways of building you a super warm, pleasant house that doesn't cost you any money. And I have one for apartment buildings. For I have a four, you know, we're doing a, these really, really amazing affordable housing buildings that are passive house level affordable housing at the same cost as any other affordable housing done in the state. And they're incredible buildings. I mean, these are amazing buildings. And I mean, they're, but they're amazing for different ways. They're amazing because the people who walk in the door might not have a house. Right. The flooring is vinyl. Sure. It's not yeah, as nice yeah. as the flooring I'm doing in custom homes, but it is completely, you know, head spinning when you open a building and the 10 people were homeless. Like that's just, Side note, we shot a project in Richmond, Virginia, mm-hmm. where they built the exact same home, one high energy yeah. efficiency and one standard for that area, maybe two by four construction. Right. Exact same, except for... Yeah, the magic those. technical tricks. Yeah, and then they, they're they doing a study on it. And yeah. this was like five years ago. If you look it up, it was a university yeah. project there. It might yeah, I remember be of that interest. One. Yeah. Yeah, no. Th- and so that experimentation phase of like trying to figure out, like, does this make money? Is this cost effective? You know, we we feel like like we're over that hump, um, and and that's you know we're, we're just you can just do it, like and and it's not that hard. A, it's it's not, been it's, figured out. So it's like, well, let's get back to architecture, which is you know you're still going to have to do the math, but the beauty and making the spaces work and all those pieces, you know, we can, you know, we're not hung up as a research lab kind of thing. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah, so, so the, these wall systems, uh, heating systems, cooling systems yeah. have been figured out. It's a pick from a bin thing at this point. And there's definitely a main thing. Like we wouldn't have had a shot at getting to this point if we weren't surrounded by other people in Maine, in New England, who we learned from, who taught us, who we inspired, who all have been like cross politicking Like there's a very special, strong New England sustainability movement that is really great and when i talk to my friends in other parts of the country they say things like i don't we don't have a club like that like right. and i do remember you know 10 years ago sort of there'd be some new green movement and everyone would get all caught up and they'd all start like hating each other because you were in the wrong faction of the green building faction and and in new england like you can go and it's just almost invariable we're on a job site and there'll be some young person there and they'll say like yeah my uncle built one of these yeah, it's like over in Fairfield or Livermore Falls. Yeah, I know. It was this weird house growing up in like, you right. know, 70s or 80s someone built them. That's 40 years ago now. Right. So people in New England have been tinkering with stuff like this and we've learned from each other and there's a knowledge that's inside the construction trades that's is lurking that's been a huge advantage for us. So I mean, just from shooting things like in Las Vegas compared to here <laughs> or even like staying in a house in California, you you look at the craftsmanship and it's just not. A comparison not at all it isn't and you get like people who yeah they're maybe they're a boat builder maybe they're a home builder like right <laughs> it's like they're interchangeable almost yeah. here so that's a lucky thing we've got but we and even on the commercial work you still get you know there's a lot of people who just really they love construction they're part of it they're into it um we just don't have a ton of friction um you know we don't i hear stories from other places and it's a lot more rough and tumble than it is here which right. is kind of nice benefit 
How long? How 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 are we doing for time here? What's that? How are we doing for time here? Oh, long as as long as you need. If you got to go, we'll how go. long can people listen to this? Oh, I, it's odd. People people that listen to everyone have told me like that one was too short. Why didn't you? Why did you cut it oh, off? All right. But I I think it's just something with podcasts that people aren't listening to podcasts um, as a like. Well, I've got ten yeah. minutes. They're like, oh, I got to drive to Bar Harbor today. Yep. So I'll put this on and it'll be interesting. I'm working on something that's repetitive and yeah. 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 Totally. Or they're yeah. drawing technical drawings yeah, and yeah. yeah. My so. wife listens to podcasts as she goes for walk every day and like it's an hour. Oh yeah. No, that's, that's a nice way to do it. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. one, uh, yeah. since I have you as an active mind, that's curious in front of me, there are a couple other avenues of thought that I wanted to run by you. And one mm-hmm. of them today I had to pull off on the side of the road and actually write it down on my phone. That was a weird epiphany to me that it's like, what, what is our, why do, what is comfort? Why do we have it? What's it tell us? And what's our responsibility in selling it and not being deceived by it? Have you ever yeah. thought around that? Yeah, that's interesting. Cause I was just talking about how comfort is a thing that gets people to move towards better. You know, like you be people search for comfort. I mean, in other words, people, have yeah. a deep search to be comfortable. Right. But um, comfort but you're asking can be something different. massively uh, deceptive. Yes. Because that, you know, the hamburger and fries is deeply comforting. Yeah. But the. Yeah, that's that's the other. Yeah. Like we had that example, like, you know, an F-150 gets 17 miles to the gallon is 6,000 pounds of metal and plastic. Yep. They're really nice now. I mean, you've got like a heated and cooled seat. You've got a cooler in between you. You've got TVs all over the place. Right. Like it's got, I mean, they're nicer than your house, right? Like people's cars. When you look at an interior of a car, it's like, whoa. Modern cars are way, way nicer than almost everybody's houses, maybe except for the stuff that you take pictures of. Right. Like that they are, they have far more, a better far sound more system. Designed and thought out yeah. than, than general. They have a better heating and cooling system. Yeah. <laughs> They're probably more stylish. And so here are these amazing, comfortable objects. And like, yeah, in an F-150, you're six feet off the ground. Like, you can see everything. You're in the command position, they sell it. The problem is, is you like, you can't see a kid walking on the sidewalk under your grill. So you have a chance of killing somebody in your machine, which that sure would suck. Mm -hmm. And it can drive 85 with a flick of your ankle. You know, it gives you as a human this more power than you've probably got anywhere else in your life. <laughs> That's a good point. And it's, you know, blowing a hole in the atmosphere. So there's like, that's exactly what you're saying. That's the, your exact example of it's comfortable. It's not really good for anybody but you at that minute. And so you have to right. put your blinders on to be able to really love it. And we're, you know, I have my or own just blinders. be really honest not with yourself that, and say like, like, this is horrible, but I don't care. And yeah, that's, that's the, the person. That's yes. the other part. Yes. I mean, that's what we, we all have those segments. I mean, I'm, I will in no way ever claim to be any kind of angel. And like you get into moralizing really quick when you start comparing. And, you know, here I've just, you know, made every F-150 owner <laughs> think I've just told them they're a shitty person. But it's more that they are comfortable. And they're really nice. And that's mm-hmm. totally worth admitting that these are like almost the pinnacle of human ingenuity <laughs> building right. these machines that we, for $30,000, you can get this thing that rolls you around in comfort. 30000 Okay, 60 Right. 
Well, but that's a great example, right? Trucks are now like 60 grand, those nice trucks. Yeah. And people buy the shit out of them. They do. Because they like them and they make them feel good and your friends admire them and they give you all the things you might ever want to purchase the thing. And, you know, yes, the rental could have done the same thing. The Kia. Right. You know, Kia could do the exact same thing, but you didn't. You bought the other one. It, it, it did things for you. And architecture is, simil- is so similar in that there are kinds of buildings when they're, you know, when people want them, they make people like turn the world around when they want something. Especially when, when you have means that are not attached to your survival, disposable yeah. income. Right. And your, your desires outside of um, surviving. Yeah are empowered by this disposable income and you can you can really get caught up in those things pretty easily and become a very odd society. Yeah, I person. mean we're we are richer than I think anyone ever imagined at the same point only some people are richer than everybody imagined. You know? Yeah. It's a it's our country is a pretty rough place. So it's, it, it's really, really nice for some and it's really, really, really hard for others. Yeah, it's interesting to go to Canada and to feel a different uh, yeah. floor of yeah. psychology and comfort. Yeah. Like there's a, there's, it feels like there's a stronger middle class in their society than more the, even. Yeah, the there's swings. a doggy dog thing in, in America going on, and not new. We've yeah, been a I, pretty brutal, rough country since our beginning. I mean, it, it's. It's hard to ask two Americans about America. You're asking a fish <laughs> about water. But when you as an American go to yeah. a country where it's it's a little more socialist yeah. as far as the spreading of the peanut butter. Yeah. Uh, everyone's got a little more peanut butter to well, it. It's like like anything else, like we spend money on what we want to spend money on. In America we decide to spend money on some pretty wild stuff, you know, like we started a war and crossed with the world and jumped two trillion dollars into a hole, like instantly. We could have spent two trillion dollars on a lot of stuff. We thought that was pretty awesome. So, you know, it's like wealth is a pretty dangerous thing. And that's, you know, it's the same thing of, yeah, wealth Wealth is probably probably pretty bad for us as humans. Well, interestingly, like, I think there's a responsibility that comes with getting to a place where you're not um, uh, worried about your survival as much. Yeah, yeah. Oh. That you now have the responsibility to look at the philosophy that underpins your existence and the discomfort that it causes all of those who are under you supporting your uh your advantage basically and that's something that's pretty embedded in architecture and architecture is um i mean it's we were talking about how cars are an amazing creation so buildings are you know one of the most amazing creations we do as humans they're some of the most expensive things we build yeah. Some of the most complicated, expensive, custom, biggest, you know, of all the objects humans do, buildings are at the you know, kind of top of that. And so buildings take huge, huge, huge amounts of capital to produce, even houses. Mm-hmm. Like they're enormously complicated, big, a lot of stuff in them <laughs> at a basic level. And so why are we surprised then that like architects, work for capital you can't you, you you don't have the money to do it you are not a developer 
You aren't a, you're not even a builder. <laughs> um, you are, your entire profession is devoted to working with people with capital. Right. And to try to make it slightly better. But there, there's a, there's a validity to trickle down economics at a shallow level there that, that are, that is a hard thing for me to admit, but I, I don't know how else to, to look at that. It's a weird yeah, conversation. It, well, I guess more for me, it's a weird conversation is that, um, I think there's some myths that architects tell themselves that, that they're a little more powerful than they actually are. Cause it's hard to admit that you're not that powerful. <laughs> you know, that like if someone comes to you with a project and that like the, the project's already probably semi-formed before it got to you. And power was working on that. And capital mm -hmm. was working on that. And it was pushing it in a direction. And, you know, the, the level of heroism to turn it into a vastly different thing than it ever was. Right. Is, you know, that's a, that'd be a pretty amazing thing if it was really possible. You know, we'd like, there's just these architecture myths of the Howard Rourke myths of like, you know, destroy your creation rather than have it be sullied. Right. And that's, you make that in a movie because it doesn't really happen. You know, that's, <laughs> that's why it's a good story is it's not the Howard real daily Rourke life. Howard Rourke is the fountainhead, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah, Ayn Rand and the whole like toxic libertarianism. Yeah. Every 13-year-old boy's fantasy that the world works like that. <laughs> Before they realize there's other humans and you need to cooperate as well as compete. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah, I don't think I've actually seen that. I've seen part of Atlas Shrugged, and I've watched a lot of interviews with yeah. Ayn Rand, and it's interesting to see where she came from. Oh, yeah, and they're like weird romance went. novels with this like bizarre, like never immature read. teenager thing wrapped up in it. Really? Yeah, they're like these bodice ripping. And then she huh. swooned as the heroic train builder swept into her studio it, it's sure. like yeah <laughs> with his force of will and capital um <laughs> so an interesting watch there's somewhere on youtube there's a um a documentary an old documentary on the uh chinese cultural revolution mm. and then after that watch the social dilemma on netflix okay have you seen that one no i haven't seen either of those really good watch huh. both right. of them are very interesting and, and how do they get watch, to architecture? Huh? How do they? What, what's the the reference to architecture that you were getting at? No reference to oh, architecture. Right, right, right. Doesn't right. matter. Okay. <laughs> but it, the Howard Rourke, the Ayn Rand, and philosophy—they all kind of—and our current social movement, social justice, capital, capitalism—these all tie in together. And it's it's a really interesting view on it all to look at the Chinese Cultural Revolution, the social dilemma, which is about social media. Hmm. It's a very, very creepy thing yeah. to see how we've monetized our own attention span. Yeah. Right. And then uh there's also one called Capital that just hmm. came out on Netflix that right. talks about the, there's a binge. Where the well is going. There it's a yeah. really interesting three part thing to kind of take in and see the yeah. history of humans and how we're trying to figure out ideologies to operate by yeah and, and like that's i i think about this stuff all the time it's it's part of that mechanics like how does that thing work well like how does that wall work oh how does how does the power work like how does power work in architecture and how does it express itself and it's the you know how could a profession that is devoted to essentially spending capital on buildings you know, it's going to be complacent at some deep level. It's not going to be that revolutionary because it's like 
you know, at its core, you have to keep capital happy to get the thing you wanted built. You know, like even in the classic selfish architect fantasy that doesn't really exist very much of like they had a vision they were trying to bring to the world. You still had to convince someone else to do it. Right. That something else is the powerful force. And so architecture has these myths that it wraps itself up in that are, you know, kind of damaging and. I and still, I still see, I mean, the, the architect comes into the ear of people who have influence quite often. Yes, but and it's, but it's at the, it's the courtier level. It's not as equals unless they come with, unless they are wealthy to their start. Unless they're what? So an architect who is already wealthy can meet a wealthy person at their equal. Oh, right. I you know, in saying. other words, like, oh, yeah, Jim, I, I see him at Aspen every winter. Right. We're going to do a building for him. But so you think people with capital respect people and, and gauge their influence based on their, the other side of the table's capital? No, I was, I was more saying that, like, architects, um, it's, it's hard to admit that you are you know, you're, you're in a weak spot. What do you mean by that? Well, um, why are buildings ugly? <laughs> oh, it's the architect's fault. You know, sometimes though the clients are like, or the contractor just jacks it up. Oh, well, or, um, what if it was an impossible trap? Like, yeah. you know, why is that parking garage so ugly? Well, the parking garage had a function and you were asked to decorate the outside two inches. Right. Right. <laughs> You know, that's like, I'm just giving an extreme example of an sure. architectural puzzle that like, you're probably going to be defeated if you right. try to do that. Maybe with the immense powers of persuasion, you get them to build the, what is it? There's the Herzog and Demuron parking garage in Miami, which I haven't seen, but the photographs are extraordinary where they did convince a patron to do an, an right. object of art disguised as a parking garage. Um, I don't quite know that. Those are the examples that are the outliers. They're the outliers that are, you can get, caught up in when the working world and what I do every day is I help people with the projects that they want to do. Like that's what we're there for. Right. We're there to get them the thing that they're trying to pull off. And it's really expensive what they're trying to pull off. It's really hard. It's scary. It's risky for them. And we are helping them. It's not, but I, you know, I just wouldn't, it would never claim like, you know, this is my project. Right. But but it, but it is to some degree because you're having to take every experience in your life that informs your creativity to, to service that person's needs. Yeah, we, I mean, I guess we as a group, we obviously have visual characteristics and certain things that people can recognize as part of our, you know, our, our thing as opposed to someone else's thing. Um, but... It is, I am really, I've always been fascinated by how our ideas come into sort of interact with and come into collision with our clients' ideas. It's really fascinating to watch how we get changed by what they say and what they think and what they love. Hmm. And as, you know, we aren't, there are certain characters I think of our buildings, but it's not like you would always guess that it was our building, like a Richard Meyer. We don't have a, you know, such a aesthetic thread. Oh, I can always spot your buildings. <laughs> I mean, that's I okay all right I mean I could always no. spot I, I shouldn't call out other clients as being similar but I can always spot your buildings no problem yeah okay I mean but that cool. I mean I'm very awesome 
You're I'm in the very, you're in the game. You're deep in the mix. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, then that's then that is true. Then I have to accept. I have to. That's if you say it, then yes, then that's true. We do have a strong characteristic then in things. And I'm I'm, you know, you're often so ignorant of what you actually do, like from inside your own head or inside your own group. Right. Being able to see it is so hard. Yeah. To to sometimes I I think like man, this is. I've done it so much in your own head, it seems very easy. But if you were to actually describe everything you were doing, you start to realize like, oh, there's a lot going on here. There is. And what's been really interesting over the last few years is, you know, we're a decent size group now. There's 14 of us. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people have joined us fresh out of school. And they're these like really awesome, super smart, hardworking people. Um, but they just don't have a lot of experience yet. And that's fine. Like, and it's like what someone said is like, your job is to give them experience. Like don't <laughs> hire them for their attitude. They, of course they don't, you know, like it's the only thing you can give them is experience is some famous line. Like right. you can't give them anything. You can't give them attitude of that. You can, all you can hand them is experience. So um, the last years have been really explicitly a lot of my working day is essentially like in some ways there's a lot of time I'm kind of being a teacher. Sure. And like you just said, and like, like, oh, wow. So we have to explain how we do things. And <laughs> when you're, when you're working with somebody who's kind of new at it, you're like, oh, wow, I guess I didn't know that once. Oh, like, yeah. Yeah. Like I didn't, I didn't know. Why would I know how to do that? Like, why would I know how big that thing is? That thing that I just have stored in my library of experience. Like I, how would I know that's 32 inches instead of 36? Right. Someone had to tell me that once. Because I was completely ignorant. <laughs> right. And you've ran into it so many times. It's just been hammered in your yeah. mind. You're just like, yeah, that's that. And that's this. Yeah. And you don't know that. And that's the sort of fun thing of working with a group and a team that's really interesting is that you do get pulled out of yourself. You do have to become a teacher. You never thought you were a teacher. You know, you thought you were a designer and, oh, well, I'm, a, I'm a teacher. Okay. Mm. That's funny. Didn't know that. <laughs> Guess I'll try and be good at that. Okay, sure. Hmm. How do you be a teacher and not be a jerk? Oh, that's interesting. <laughs> that's a really hard one. My <laughs> wife's naturally, like my wife cannot snowboard, mm -hmm. but she's the one who had to teach my kids how to snowboard. Yeah. I snowboard, couldn't teach them how to snowboard. Yeah, don't know how to do it. Like you don't know how you do it. Yeah. How do you do it? I just do you it. Just do it. Like turn that way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and that sort of that explicit thing of just, like, yeah, how, do, how do you take something that you've been doing for a little while and, and lay it out? You're like, it, it's a very out-of-body experience of like, oh, all right, I think we, this, this, and this, and this, and a lot of explanation and talk. And yeah, it's, it's really interesting. Hmm. As a, and that's what, because you, you do it because you can pull off bigger things than you could ever do by yourself. That's what, a, that's what the choice we made was that we're doing some really special, really amazing buildings. And I, you know, I could never do it by myself. I could never produce, you know, we've got this incredible affordable housing building we're doing for Avesta in South Portland. It's like 60 homes. It's five stories tall. It's like, it's big. Without like these two amazing people who've been helping me for like two years now, who really, you know, they jumped, dove into a building they really didn't know how to do and we're pulling it off, like all three right. of us. It's like, it's working. <laughs> but I could not, you know, it's like, I could not have done this by myself. It would take all of us. Right. Even though, Y'all kind of, you know, you're, you told me like, I'm, we, we don't know what we're doing here. It's all right. right we'll be fine. We'll be fine. We'll do uh, it. <laughs> you're bringing that, you know, that experience is just priceless. 
It is. And it's the, the attitude's priceless too of like, we'll be fine. We'll get through this. We totally will. You, you're good enough. We can pull this off. You know, like, yes, you haven't done it before. We got this. <laughs> and it's true. We do. Like it is turning out well. Nice. And when the, when's that going to be done? Um, we, it's a, a 14 month build. Whoa, so that's pretty quick for, yeah, it is. I mean, this thing commercial here people has been going on fast. Yeah. Huh. I think they, you know, it feels like, oh, we should have done that in a year. I know. Like houses that take two years and then you've got like right. 60 houses that go in 14 months. We're about, we're a little over halfway through. You just, it's rigid, it's roof line is just rising up. If you're on 295 and you look over towards South Portland by the airport, you can see this roof line that's kind of popped up. It's this sort of jaggedy peak. And you, and I was like, oh, you can see it from 295. It's that big. Nice. It's very cool. Nice. So. And it's, it's a mission-based thing. It's like, because the commercial side is really, it's draining, it's tiring, but you're pulling off something really feels like it's going to change lives for a lot of people. I, I oddly remember the first few kind of residential things I shot with you guys thinking that your aesthetic would really uh, go gangbusters in commercial huh. as well. That's really interesting. And I've never thought that with any other client for some huh. reason, but I've always thought like, I think their their aesthetic here is hmm. going to be. I've always seen your aesthetic as being a little more playful and experimental yep. to begin with. Yeah. And I think in an office setting that it, there's some kind of life there. Yeah. That uh, that I think uh, you know commercial would be like oh people would love to come here. That's really interesting because yeah I think I always assumed that that was would be a more popular in homes but you know I had an interview this year where someone after we won the job they said like we hired you for all these reasons and you were you know you were very economical <laughs> you proved you can do it um and we thought you'd be more fun and i was like i was like oh that's really interesting like that's i think i do want to be more fun and more <laughs> playful i think i do want to be you know it's like when i think back to the architects that i love that have inspired me yeah that i Yes, humor and levity in those pieces is something that I've always loved. Right. And, you know, not being too serious about the buildings is something and something pretty fabulous. Hmm. What's your, uh, to end out on a positive note, mm -hmm. because it's 2020 and we should do that. Yeah. <laughs> what's your, what's your hope for 2021? Uh, my hope for 2021. You know, it's funny because we're in the middle of, the pandemic and we're going to look back on the pandemic and we'll have solved it partly through science and vaccines and partly by taking care of each other. Um, and it's been really, you know, I've sort of been gratified that new England has gotten through this. Well, like we, uh, we are a good place to be in this messy thing we're, that swept over the world. And, and it's I not know. just lucky. Like we, um, we are a culture who's willing to sacrifice for the rest of us. You know, we as New Englanders, we yeah. we're willing to put yeah. off pleasure a little bit. Well, we experience pain once a year for about six months. Yeah. Yeah. And that like there's that weird Calvinist stuff lurking. And but yeah, like the New England culture, it's like that's true. Right? The Colin Woodard book talks about it of the, um, you know, yeah, you um, the common good is important. And that, that thing like we we crashed our economy voluntarily. Like we we all shut ourselves down. Every restaurant owner in Portland, before they had to, closed their doors. Really? Before the law forced them. Hmm. 
And we stopped, you know, sort of going to restaurants because we didn't want to get ourselves and each other sick. Like we, it was, it was this, it was the craziest thing I've ever seen. We just like, we just stopped doing all these things we do. We stopped flying. We canceled vacations. We pulled our kids out of school. Like we did, it was all before the government told us to. Hmm. The government followed at every level. And so we had this summer where COVID wasn't raging all around. My son went to college and they've had, I don't know, his little college has done like, I don't know, 6,000 tests and has had six positives. They're all going to college. Like who thought anyone was going to pull that off as other colleges around the country are shut down in raging yeah, epidemics. Yeah. And Notre Dame, I know, got weird yeah. in some places. I mean, Maine's in been incredible and it's because I think we we listened to science and we t decided we wanted to take care of each other and it was worth a little bit of sacrifice. Like, I don't know, the mask wars. Like, is this really so hard? This is the easiest goddamn thing we've tried to change in a while. Yeah. Like, honestly, that's an easy one. <laughs> this is all we have to do? Really? <laughs> really? <laughs> well. you, you, I thought you were going to ask me to do something hard. <laughs> So, um, but that, uh, that aside, you asked me like, what's the hope is for 2021? Um, I mean, my hope is that we can look back at this moment when we collectively made each other safe and did it voluntarily together as a group and go tackle a bunch of the other things we need to tackle. You know, like we did it. Right. Someone said, Hey, this thing is coming. It's really bad. You need to do these couple things. And we're like, Okay. You know, so we've got, obviously, you know, the, the scary, scary, scary long-term one of the climate change one of, like, um, the ocean's going to rise up and beat the shit out of you. <laughs> and everything's going to catch on fire. Oh, okay. Let's, let's so if we start, do these three things. Let's focus on that. And we do three things, like, you know, uh, uh, we, we uh, you know, our perpetual, ongoing, multi-hundred-year, vicious racism problem. Stop it. <laughs> just hey stop doing that you knock that off <laughs> knock that off okay you mean oh so a good chunk of your country will finally be able to um go about at peace and go to their jobs without harassment and just relax like what if a huge chunk of our country finally got to relax for once wouldn't how much better would we all be economically productive and like efficient and all that right i you know so it's like <clears throat> sexism in architecture you know like knock it off now there there's there's another one that have we just stopped doing that especially in architecture <laughs> and i never saw it so much as when i was we did a video thing in in england for new forma yep. and it it seemed more stark and prevalent there oh wow that's that's sad because it's really really bad here yeah, and and I'd never picked yeah. up on it here yeah. as much as I have a I have a friend who's uh, running a business and working in peripheral to architecture, mm -hmm. and and she was like, "Yep, yeah, really bad." You know, you'll try and yeah. get stuff done; it's super difficult. And you know, it's like a lot. A lot of my professional friends are female, and like the people I respect, like people I. And I, when I'm out at conferences, I, you know, often end up in like, all you have to do is listen to what they're saying. <laughs> they kind of tell you it's pretty, it's pretty, a pretty big pain in the ass. Mm. You know, it's just this friction on their lives every day. You're like, all right, 
Oh, and and huh, I haven't been able to see that. Oh, right. Well, I wonder why. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so um, <laughs> it's like you listen to what people are saying, they usually tell you. Um, but it, yeah, architecture has a pretty vicious sexism problem, and it, which means, of course, that its racism problem is even bigger. I mean, I remember starting out here in New England and having a friend that was working as an architect and thinking like, oh, we should bring him up. And then looking around and just thinking like, I don't know if he'd be comfortable yeah. being so uh, just unique yeah. and, you know, <laughs> in I was, this area. I was praising Maine for us, you know, sticking together and all that. But there's a woman in her office who said, she started like, it's been tough being in New England. Like in California, I had more respect on the job sites than I do in New England. Yeah. She said, I, I just felt like I was, it was accepted that I was an architect and I knew what I was doing a little bit more there. And I have to, I have to fight for respect here. And she's someone who doesn't mind fighting for respect, but it's like, well, too bad you have to. Right. <laughs> It'd be nice if you, like, yeah, you I can mean, tell it was easier when she didn't have to. Well, Dave Chappelle has some kind of bit on it where it's like racism that's out in the open in the South is kind of like, all right, well, we know where we all stand. <laughs> and then in the North, it's kind of like under the surface more and yeah. it's harder to like you find it later, you know. And, and it's, like, it's especially interesting for me because so our group is now nine of the 14 are identify as female. We're majority female now. And of course, <laughs> the people with the name on the door aren't. <laughs> people who control the whole show aren't. That's just, you know, that's a, I'm not going to deny that or try to obscure that. Um, but I don't know, that can change too. Like I can, we, that's something that's under my control to fix, right? <laughs> um, but uh, the, it's just been really interesting where it's, it's like, is it snowballing? I don't know. Like they, it's just a, it's a, I'm, I work in a heavily female workplace now. And it wasn't true for the first five years of our existence. It was a heavily male place. Now, anytime I work for small architecture firms, mm -hmm. I'd say 90% of the time it's men. Mm -hmm. Anytime I work for a large firm th that's marketing people, we're typically female. I think that, and this is why, like, I feel like it's important for me to talk about this because, you know, I, I need to talk to other guys about our problem, like to knock well, this shit I, yeah, off. Yeah, I mean. And so what I think, I think there's some logic behind that. I think it's not very safe if you're female to go to someone's house and work in their house all day in a power dynamic where they employ you. And yeah, I think if you yeah. have the choice, if you're going to pick a, business place where you're one of 30 and there's an HR department and they have a policy and there's other people around, which one do you feel just on a basic human level, safer working late? Right. <laughs> then the sole practitioner who has no, who has no policy, who has oh, no right, habits, right. I see what you're saying. who has, and you are alone with them, or maybe you're there with two other people and you're the only female. So I think there's just these basic calculation levels that they're honestly making a safer choice Right. By working there. It's like, you know, I, I, I seriously like, and you know, again, the message of the guys, like if I'm working late and there's other women in the office, I have to be, you know, keep my shit. To, like, don't, it's like, don't be a fucking idiot. Make, and not only that, it's, you have to let them know that they're safe. <laughs> you have to explicitly always, you know, make sure because in, you know, it will only take, you know, one thing and you've betrayed what you were 
really doing all along, you know? Right. So it's a matter of like you have, it, it's, it's like men need to shape up. Like this isn't a problem women created. Like right. women didn't create a separate system. <laughs> so why are they the ones about to fix it? Yeah, it, it's a really complex thing because it's it's undeniable that there are uh, bell curve commonalities between the sexes. Mm-hmm. There's outliers that are, if we're going to be a, a uh, individual rights society, that the the outliers have to have the ability to be outliers, yeah. be safe, and succeed just as easily as the people who are within their yeah. bell curve doing the other thing. Right. Right. And, and I think oftentimes it's those people, the, like if you have a woman who's outside of her standard bell curve of what the stereotype would be, th- they have the ability to be that much more of a superstar because of their outlier yeah. things right and same with a man same with anyone yeah. but, but if you have a uh, a a system that says well you being over here is an outlier of the stereotype so you're you're not we're just not going to compensate you there you need to go yeah. back to your zone and that's true i think with any out of power group and it's like the there's a term called um walking the tightrope mm-hmm. which is the you know, someone who's not in the powerful majority, it's that, um, uh, you know, damned if you, damned if you don't. The classic one is you're, you know, you're, you're pushy or you're complacent. Right. And that, and that perfect edge where you're neither is this narrow tightrope to walk where I get this huge wide road to walk on. Where the thing that I do, what well, doesn't get called pushy. Right. Doesn't right. get called you know, too uh, submissive or whatever, you know, like that's the, you know, the, one of those terms, which is the, that's the, but that's the thing that me and my people built, like knock it off. How do you deal with that? Because (laughs) again, it comes back to comfort, right? So you're used to being bossed around by a man because that's stereotypically how it's been throughout history. Everyone's used to being bossed around by a man. Right, because <laughs> I mean, go back a yeah. thousand years, you're going to be safer if a man's looking after you at the basic level because yeah, of well, just physical prowess. Now we're getting to like there are matriarchal societies and patriarchal societies, right. and like you know, that's not definitely true all across the board. No, no, but as a as in the, a stereotype, in the culture that we got dropped right, into, right, right. So anytime something's an outlier, the in, the initial thing yeah. is going to be I know, I'm I'm discomfort I'm I'm discomforted by this. But I guess right? the thing that like in architecture is like this is just isn't an outlier. So like who created even the idea that this was an outlier behavior? Well well like what's an outlier behavior though? Well, whatever it is. Like whatever it is we're tr- we're describing that might be a slight difference. Right. Like a woman going into a job site yeah, and telling like, contractors to rip that out. Yeah, but that again shouldn't be an outlier. It shouldn't, but it is. Yeah, but we can change that. We can change that, yes. Um, and I guess that's all it is to me is like, how about we just don't do that? Right, but again, you're dealing with people with emotions and yeah. people who may have not thought about, well, why would I feel this way when a woman's telling me to rip something out? 
right? Yeah. So and, you you have to right. so, convince, but, like you were saying earlier, you have that's, to convince I guess that guy that there's a better yeah. way. So then maybe, I mean, I, all I'll say is, let's not do that anymore. And so if I have any power, what I need to do is I need to be the like snowplow that helps clearing some of those roadblocks out of the way. Like, so my duty then is to literally be explicit and say like, don't do that to the other people in power. Tell your people not to do that. Right. So <laughs> she's really good. Head of she, contractor she that us. you yeah. work with. Yeah. Hey, if, if your people aren't going to respect my people, we're not going to be doing this anymore. We're not going to be doing this anymore. And so it, it, and that's the piece that is, it's hard. Like I don't, I didn't think of myself as a boss for a really long time. And that was, I was just lying to myself. Um, <laughs> I was like, oh yeah, that's one of the duties. Like, you know, you need to essentially, yes, you have to um, go out and clean out the block, the, the blocks for other people. Like let them have an easy path. Right. They deserve it. They've worked hard. They're really smart. Well, I mean, you're let making, them just do their job. You're presumably making more money than them and you're making more money because they're working for you. So it's incumbent on you to make their life as pleasurable as humanly possible. Right. So you continue to be able to survive because of the labor that right. they and do. We're all trying to do great buildings. Like the buildings will be better if all of these smart people work on them. Right. <laughs> like they've got good ideas. <laughs> Listen to them. <laughs> you know, it's like that. there's this basic level that I'm just kind of, you know, we're 2020 and yeah, it's, yeah, I don't know. I, there's a point at which the idea that the construction industry and the design industry still hasn't found a way to, make a safe workplace for well-educated white women is wild. Did, I mean, I mean, would you like, say like that, that there, wouldn't value. you say it's a safe environment within the design field or no? No. Not even like Not within even. the walls so of the I was design at, field. I'm president of AIA Maine right now. And I went to a, um, a seminar and it was something called bias interrupters and how to like break through your internal biases, how to knock them out. This sounds interesting. It's super fascinating. And, um, what was the name of it? Bias interrupters. Bias interrupters. And it's okay. a program. It's literally like a, a set of toolkits that you use in your business to say, to evaluate your HR policies, to evaluate mm -hmm. your, it's like how to break through the biases you don't know you have of things like how you hire, how you do reviews, how you judge people, the words you use on different kinds of people, right? how to break out, out that stuff. And so the person said they'd done polling and they worked at SOM once upon a time and they went to school as a psych they were they were an academic but they've been doing uh, interviews across architecture and she said she's said, i've been doing these interviews across all sorts of industries but i i've you know i spent a bunch of time with architecture she says architecture has a back rub problem it's like we don't see that in other industries we don't Did see you say a back rub problem? i said a back rub problem and she said it in the sort of room goes quiet and you're like that's really shitty that the like the principal comes up and like gives a back rub to the young coworker who's that's at the end of the day. Yeah. Right. Completely inappropriate. Like don't touch the people you work with at all. <laughs> you don't need to. <laughs> There's no need for any touching ever of any kind. Like that's really going on. Like that this is a thing. Yeah. She, I'm, I mean, I'm a little secluded. I'm so well, it turned out so was I, because I was like, oh, that's really shitty. And you're telling me this is more common than it ought to be. This is a not, and architecture has a culture of late hours. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She also yeah. said something really, really amazing, which she said, you can actually, um, if you ask firms, is the creative work the project of a lone individual or a group? You, 
you sprinkle that in as one of your questions. Mm -hmm. You can use that to judge other responses. You can take the set of people who answered their business is the product of you know one or two strong individuals versus it's a group effort. Uh -huh. She said, the businesses that the employees answer, the creative work is a product of one person, have much worse sexual harassment claims and sexual and inappropriate touching and bad biases. Mm. And that the, the strong individual who runs the company, who it's their work with their name on it, those things cascade down into, yes, they turn out they have, they feel like they've got the rights. And architecture has a habit of like late, late nights, right? Mm -hmm. Alone at the office with the boss. Like that's a thing that exists inside the profession. It's, it's scary how similar this is to just like a, a pack of, you know, horses or something. Yeah, with this gloss of like, we're this noble profession. We're all well-educated. We're above that. We are, you know, we're a high-class profession. Right. And like, really? You you have an ethic of like not paying people to work late. <laughs> mm. Tons of hours on salary. Um, you know, killing yourself for the project. Right. And a sexual harassment problem? Like, huh, that's a not great underbelly. Gee, that sounds like fun. Yeah, and so like, you know, that's it is something that for the last years has been like, uh, we should not do that in our group. We should try to make our group a good example of what you could do. Hmm. Um, and it's really interesting when you get under the hood of what to do. One of the things is you have to, you have to poll your, allow your employees to answer anonymous questions about how good the workplace is. Very anonymous, yeah. And you have to give them an avenue to talk about problems that doesn't mean coming to you, the dude who owns the place. Right. <laughs> So they sure. have a, another source to talk to who they think might be able to put a break on you. Right. <laughs> if you did something a little off. Sure. You know, that, that has to, you have to have an error correction mechanism. Mm -hmm. Someone with enough weight to, to, even if it was just a mild thing, like, don't do that. That's not cool the way you use that word, right. whatever it is, even if it's a mild. Um, and so, yeah, we actually signed up for a thing called just certification which is a, uh, a labeling system for businesses. It's like, how are your workplace practices? And you fill a, a thing out and then it gets put on a website and you can like Google the company and say like, oh, here's, your, here's how diverse you are. Here's how gender diverse you are. Here's your, right. do you, what's your pay equity scale? So now, we, we did that. <laughs> how'd you fare? Well, I, I get, you know, it's transparent. It's like, there's things we need to work on. Right. So when I saw it, I was like, oh, wow, there's about three areas we really need to work on. So, so in my personality, I'm like, oh, what things were we weak at? Well, main racial diversity. Yeah. No surprise, right? Um, and um, we have been weak on a good family leave plan. Hmm. So that if you um, have a sick parent or, uh, you know, you or your partner have a child, like, you know, you paid leave. Right. We right. scored very weakly on that. I'm like, oh, we're a small business. We can't afford it. Well, oh, shit, we need to. We need to afford that. <laughs> yeah. Need to figure out how to run a better business so that we can afford that, so we can take care of our people, so that they can be treated fairly, men and women. So the, the complication that comes in in my thinking when I start looking at things as far as like, all right, here's a business. It must be equal in all ways. That they're... At this point, as far as the data can show, there still is bell curves of interest between males and females, mm -hmm. STEM and, and more relational. Like, uh, I, I believe the data is saying that there's far more female doctors coming in because it's this more relationally interactive hmm. and 
and and I'm you know I could be wildly off. In this I'm going to place a bet. There's a profession that got its ethical shit together. Through what now? Ha- got its ethical act together and found a way to punish bad actors, and managed to scrub a few millennium out of the profession. Yeah, maybe. And paid well. Paid They're well with good benefits. Doctors. Yeah. So <laughs> like you know, in other words, like they, there's the there's the root level of can I go do that and be safe and take care of my family and feed my you know, and, right. and have a good life. Like, you know, you point yourself towards those things that you think is possible. Right. But if you have the choice, if you're someone who has a choice. So Scandinavia has been yeah. the most progressive as far as trying to break down barriers, mm-hmm. barriers so people can freely choose exactly what they want to do. Yeah. And the, the, to everyone's uh, dismay, it did not go. Now everything's more 50, 50, like there's an equal amount of uh, men and women in all professions. Mm-hmm it got even more stereotypically diverse. It's like you took away the inability, like the inability to not have a cookie made you want a cookie more and be really pissed until you had the choice to have the cookie. Now that you can have the cookie whenever you want, I'm actually going to go get the thing I actually want rather than the thing that's... I don't know the stats on Scandinavia. It's more like, I still like, can we just give it a try? Well, yeah. Let's try that version out. (laughs) Oh, yeah. (laughs) Let's see what happens. Scandinavia has been... I'm more like, let's, I just, I'm just so convinced that our culture is so much more dominant than our genetics. Because when I look back through history, we made all these bullshit excuses every single time we oppressed somebody. And we came up with these supposed innate reasons. And you just like, it just happens over and over and over and over again. We did it with slavery. You know, that, that people that like, and we did it with the right to vote. We, at every level, when you look back and you tell, you watch people say like, well, they obviously weren't suited for this. Right. You know, they had these innate tendencies that meant that we shouldn't let them do that. Right. And it's always been bullshit. Well, like, consistently. The, the thing <laughs> I'm saying is that when the, the conversations I've listened in on, when, when you try and make policy that forces uh, oh. an equal outcome rather than an equal oh. opportunity. Yeah. But I just don't think we're anywhere even talking about that. I don't no. think we're talking about forcing policy. I think, I mean, what I'm talking about is let's stop being shitheads and be abusive and let's try to pay people equally. Right. And then because there's no policy we're dealing with inside our business or any of those things, like we're a small business. The federal government like exempts us from almost every workplace standard <laughs> under 50 people. Oh, right. You know, yeah. like you, you barely, you know, it's like you could run a horrific sweatshop. So there's no regulation forcing us. To, yeah. Well, and most of them are, quite frankly. I mean, that's, they're famous. 80 yeah, hours a week. Aren't they? You have to put in your 80 hours. You're on salary. Wow. Boss makes the money or loses the money because they never tried to make money. Right. You know, like that's, it's, that's the famous architecture industry. Like, and I mean, so yeah, another thing we've done, which I think is just super fascinating is we we like created a system for equity where yeah if we set a number of billable hours and if you work more you you know it's you can take it off or you can take it in cash and you when we rerun it every quarter every 3 months we rerun what people did and if they put in more hours over you know essentially it's based on a, an assumed 40 hour work week um you get to either you know take it off in extra vacation time or cash like we literally are set a a way that if you work more than just 40 so if you're, you're compensated for it so you're you're being uh you're being uh incentivized to actually do very effective work during the time you're doing work for yeah. one from the boss's perspective yeah 
and you're also being told you, sh you really shouldn't be going more than 40 here. And if you do, you're going to be either compensated or given that time off. And most importantly, it, it tries to put a notification to the owners, which said essentially like you didn't schedule very well if you and it right. happens because we still do late nights. Right. And every time I'm like, fuck, we didn't schedule well enough. Maybe next time if we schedule better, we wouldn't need to do that as much. And, you know, right. and we work on it. <laughs> but the effort is trying to not like burn through. And I, you know, I did ridiculous late hours all through my career. But I also like like what I'm doing. Like I like my job, obviously. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so like a, I had fun putting in a lot of hours. That's I still the like weird thing is that people will naturally just like, well, I'm going to work more because I like it. But then it takes away from their balance. And yeah, and which is like essentially we tried to create a system where it's like if you want to work extra and it, occasionally you'll have to. Absolutely. But we're just not going to take advantage of you. We're not going to exploit you over it. Right. And so there will be moments. And, and even like, if you want to work extra, go right ahead. <laughs> Fine. You love work. Do 50 week. Cool. Party on, man. <laughs> but thou shalt be compensated. <laughs> yeah. But you shall be, you will be compensated. So that's like, you know, it's just one of those measures that is like, you can kind of break through those stereotypes of architecture of like, yeah, the 80 hour sacrifice yourself for someone else. And it's a noble profession. You have to die for it. Um, all those things, which is like, it's a business. Contractors don't act like that. <laughs> we have a little bit more of that though in New England, like we were saying, like you, you get contractors and craftsmen who mm -hmm. are, there's more of their soul in what they're doing yeah. than, than you have in other areas. Yeah, but I was more talking about like the, you know, contractors don't do 60 hour work weeks without compensating for it. Right. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> right. You know, it's like in, in architecture has this ethic of like, that's you just have to do that. Right. You know? right. So like, yeah, you know, it turns out we could talk a long time about and, and like it's not like I'm ever going to claim we're some awesome, perfect workplace. It's just that. We started with this thing of like, try to do it all well. I was like, all right, shit, we got to work on that, too. All right. Oh, that's kind of cool. Like. All right. Look, when you do this better, everything oh, this else better. gets better. And because like we obviously weren't doing it right in the old days when we were all just a bunch of dudes. We somehow weren't making it. We must have like and through trial and error and trying to work at it, we've gradually gotten a little bit better at that. So it's like it, it takes sustained effort. It's like it's the same. I guess I go back to it. all these things are the same thing as good design and good aesthetics. No one thinks you won't get you get better at aesthetics without putting huge sustained effort into it. Well, it's a. Uh, you talk it's to a, old architects. They're like, oh yeah, it's been decades before I could get a handle on this. Right. The same thing is true about like the technical sides of building. Yes, it's going to take decades of sustained effort, and like running a humane business, decades of sustained effort. So like, better get started. <laughs> well, it's an interesting <laughs> difference in uh, the effort to get to that consistently more. Uh, more consistently producing that beauty compared to more consistently uh, reproducing those technical right. results. They're a different process. One's very uh, yeah. subjective, subjective thing, and one's a far more objective yeah. study. But that's just that's the that's like the if I you know that's the thing I think has just been interesting for me is just how interesting it's been to focus on all those areas. Right. It's like if we just obsessed over aesthetics, it just wouldn't have been as interesting a game. Right. And it's been fun to push Maybe on all make those a levels. really good architect. I don't know. It turns out that's why it takes decades. It's <laughs> a lot of shit to juggle. Oh, uh, yeah. No, this, I, I, I've never run into a more uh, seemingly difficult profession to make it in. <laughs> yeah. But there are, you know, like, I, I got to think some of those have got to be self-invented barriers. Like, you know, 
maybe a few business classes and we wouldn't have to work to create a humane business. Like, yeah, maybe, you know, I don't know. Maybe like, do we have, maybe we made it a little hard for fun. I don't know. <laughs> it's probably, we're probably getting to a good point to end to though. Yes. I think both of us should probably get home to our families and uh, make an appearance before bedtime. Absolutely. So. Run a humane family. Run a humane <laughs> We'll be compensated for this overtime, right? <laughs> All, All right. right. Well, thanks, thanks a ton for coming down to uh, New Portland here and yeah. uh, or, or, or Lewiston by the sea, New Portland, whatever you want to call it. So the future of Maine, the future of Maine, Bitterford. Yes. But yeah, thanks for coming down. Awesome talking to you and uh, be safe. Yeah, you too. And all of you as well. Good night. <laughs>